you this morning as the psalmist said that we just read. Lord, we praise you this morning with our whole heart. Before the gods, before the false idols of this world, we sing praises to you. Lord, we will worship toward your holy temple. And Lord, we will praise your name. And Lord, we praise you for your loving kindness. Lord, you're so loving to us. If we're honest with ourselves and take an honest assessment, Lord, we can see how much you love us. And Lord, you love us so much despite our not always loving you. Lord, we praise you for your loving kindness toward us. You sustain us. You care for us. You provide for us. You provide for all of your creation. Lord, we praise you for your truth, your, your word. And Lord, this is important because, as Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. Lord, our culture doesn't like truth. Our world doesn't like truth. Our culture seems to want to redefine everything in rejection of biblical truth. But Lord, we pray you this morning that there is a truth because Lord, any anytime we get away from truth, we get into chaos. Is either Christ or chaos. And Lord, why do we see a lot of chaos in our world today? Why do we see a lot of chaos in our nation? It is because the rejection of your truth as it is found in your word. The rejection of created order. The rejection of how you made things according to the counsel of your own will and according to your wisdom. Lord, fallen man has decided that we're wiser than you. We are smarter than you. We've decided, Lord, that we know what's true for us more than you do. And Lord, because of that, man has rejected your truth. And Lord, what we see are the dire consequences of rejection of your truth playing out in our culture, particularly here in America, but also throughout the world. So Lord, we praise you for your truth. Your truth is what is good for us. And we praise you for it. Lord, the psalmist says, you have magnified your word above all your name. Lord, your word, these are the very words of God. Lord, your word is to be magnified in our lives. Your word is to be magnified in our hearts. Lord, we are, as, as Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We should not just live by what we're doing in our everyday lives. That is not what sustains us. That is not what's going to carry us on into glory. Man should not live by bread alone. Man should not live by just what we can sustain in this life. Man should not live by 
likes and shares and and views and clout. That's not what we ought to live by, Lord. Man is not to live by self-worship. The worship of self. Loving self. Lord, that is just mere bread. Lord, we ought to live by your word. Every word that comes out of your mouth. Lord, you created us to live to your glory. To do everything to glorify you. Not to glorify ourselves. Not to bring glory to ourselves. Not to make ourselves an object of worship. Lord, you created us as your image bearers. You, you gave us value. You gave us worth. Because we are made in your image. <laughs> and Lord, we are to take that. And we are to mirror and to reflect you in this world. That is what you created us for, Lord. But fallen man wants to reject it. But Lord, you magnified your word. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness because in the day that we cried out to you, Lord, you answered us. You hear our prayers. You hear our cries. You hear our frustrations, Lord. You hear our complaints. Lord, you are God who hears. We, we, don't, we don't think about that, but Lord, you, you hear your people when we call to you, when we when we pray to you, when we cry out to you, Lord, you, you condescend to us. You bend the ear to your people. And Lord, your word tells us that when we do cry, you answer us and you make us bold with strength in our souls. Lord, it is you who gives us strength. It is you who gives us the courage to, to live each day, to, to make it through each day. It reminds me of what the psalmist said in Psalm 23. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with me. Lord, you give us strength. You sustain us. And Lord, we pray for strength right now. Those in here who are feeling weak and needy in whatever is going on in their life, in their home, whether it's the adults or the children, the concerns that we have, Father, I pray right now that you attend to them, that you hear their cries, and that you answer them, and that you give them strength in their soul to persevere in this life. Lord, even all the kings of the earth shall praise you. They are to give glory to you when they hear the words of your mouth. Even they shall sing of your ways. Lord, we pray for the leaders of this nation. They are abominable people. Lord, they're not doing things that are praiseworthy to you. Father, I may, if I may, Father, I pray that you convict them of the evil that they're legislating, the evil that they're proposing. That does not cause humans to flourish. That denigrates the sacred institutions that, that you have ordained, like marriage. I pray, Father, that they repent of the evil that they're promoting in this world. Lord, they are called to praise you, to bring you glory. 
not to bring glory to fallen man and, and man's proclivities. <coughs> Lord, when they hear your words, they ought to bow down. They ought to sing of your ways, for your glory is great, not the glory of man. And Lord, we thank you that though you are on high, you regard the Lord. You regard us, Lord. And Lord, the psalmist says, though we walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Lord, thank you that you are a present help in trouble. There are probably troubled hearts in this sanctuary this morning. Lord, may we look to you. You are our hope. Lord, there's, there's no other hope in this world. There is no other hope in this world, Lord. The only hope that we have is in you. Many people are searching for hope in all the wrong places. They, they're in trouble. They're in distress. They turn to drugs. We have record numbers of overdoses of fentanyl, opioids in our nation. Why? Because people are placing their hope in a high. They're placing their hope in a feeling that a drug gives. A false sense of hope. Well, they're placing it in alcohol. or They're, they're, they're placing it in sexual promiscuity. They're placing it in mutilating their bodies to believe a lie. Lord, they're placing their hope in all the things that lead to death and to destruction. But Lord, hope in you does not lead to death. But hope to you leads to life. Hope in you revives us. Hope in you, Lord, brings the dead back to life. Lord, it is you who revives us. You will stretch out your hand. And you will save us. We look to you, Lord, this morning as our Savior, as our King, as our Lord, as our provider, as our sustainer, as our present help in trouble. Lord, the psalmist says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. It reminds me of, Father, what your word says. The Apostle Paul wrote that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the coming of Christ. Lord, you will complete your work in all of us. Because, Lord, your mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you this morning. For your word that we're about to preach and hear. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. To preach this text well as we go through this wonderful book that you have given us, the book of Galatians. As we see who the true children from us are. Let us see, Lord, Lord, that either we are slaves to sin or we are free in Christ. May we all choose to be free in Christ and not slaves sin and in bondage to the law. Lord, encourage the faithful, convict sinners this morning to repentance and to salvation. In Christ's name, amen. And the Lord is good and so faithful to us. And we praise him this morning. And let us turn to Galatians, the fourth chapter. We're coming along through this book and uh, a section that probably uh, some of y'all probably read before. So I don't know what I, it just means. So uh, we're here to.
make this understandable for you this morning. We'll close out the fourth chapter, verses 31 through 31. I think the sermon is titled um, Children of Promise. And we see in this passage what we call an allegory. And I'll explain what an allegory is. Any allegory before, I guess they know what they was. It was a literary uh, device uh, that is used. There can be arguments for using allegories. So this is the word of the Lord, beginning at the fourth chapter and 21st verse of the book to the Galatians. Some of your headings may say two covenants, if you have a Bible like I do, it say two covenants in some scripture, some Bible. It says here, Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic or allegorical. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. I want to define a couple of things here. Number one, uh, verse 24, which things are symbolic or allegory. The allegory, and I, I think I put it in the service details when I sent that route. An allegory is a story in which the characters and or events are symbols. Okay? They're symbols, and they're representing other events, other ideas, and other people. So simply put in this passage, um, Ishmael, who was the son of Hagar, represents slavery and bondage to the law. And Isaac, who was born to Sarah, represents freedom from the law. So that's basically what Paul is saying here. He's using that illustration for them because these Jews would, Jews would understand it because they know the story of Abraham, one of the 
uh, patriarchs. So this allegory is, is basically uh, contrasting those who are under the law as being in bondage and those who are out from under the law who are, are representing uh, freedom. So that's why it says here two covenants. And Paul was in essence telling these Judaizers. Remember, again, the Judaizers are those Jews, Jewish converts who were telling these Gentile converts that they had to obey the law in order to be saved. I always have to keep that term in front of us to remember when I say uh, Judaizers. So Paul was telling them that they're actually in bondage by doing that. So he's using another example. This time he's speaking from uh, a literary device called an allegory. So just looking at uh, here as we open up, just looking at an exegesis of this text, you know, an explanation of it. So the one thing that I want us to think about is the only way to be free is to be biblical. The only way to be free is to be biblical. If we fail to heed the teaching of scripture, we become enslaved. This is foundational here. The only way to be free is to be biblical. If we fail to heed the teachings of scripture, we become enslaved. True freedom comes to those who hear God's word and respond in obedient faith. Jesus said this in uh, John 8 and 31 and 32. I explained this, um, I think, last Sunday or this past Wednesday. Jesus says this when he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, when Jesus is speaking of truth, he's not talking about true truth. He's talking about the truth that comes from God. He's not just talking about anything that's just true. Because people use that phrase about the truth will set you free. Yeah, but what truth? Who's truth? <laughs> Some people think it's true that men can get pregnant. That truth won't set you free because it's not true. So that's why I say you have to define what truth is. So we're talking about truth when Jesus is saying that he's talking about God's truth, the word of God, revealed scripture, inspired, the inspired word of God. So the only way to be free is to be biblical. When we obey scripture, we have true freedom. Bondage comes when we don't obey scripture. It's like the Emily said in Bible study one night about a month or so ago, it's either Christ or chaos. You see chaos, people, wherever you don't see biblical truth. Look at the news. Every day. Look at what is happening to our nation. Look at what our government at the highest levels are promoting. They're promoting unbiblical truth. And what is it causing? Chaos. People are being truly hurt because they're being told that biblical truth is bad. It's bigoted. But 
This thing is true. Noah Cole say you take this to the bank. Okay? The only way to be free is to be biblical. Young people, pay that too. Because when I was young, dumb, and stupid, I thought freedom meant doing whatever I wanted to do. Like that's that's what freedom is. You know, you can go in, you can leave out, come in when you want to. You know, when I was in the military coming in two, three o'clock in the morning on the ship, I had to, you know, have muster at eight o'clock and I'm down to getting up. If you miss muster, you know, you get in trouble. Muster's like roll call for the uninitiated. Um, you know, when I was young, I was stupid in college, stand out two, three o'clock in the morning, had an eight o'clock class. Because I was free, right? But my I didn't have a mom tell me, well, you get in on time, you know, you got class in the morning. I thought I was free. But what what you actually are is enslaved. You're enslaved to your sinful desires. That's what happens when you don't follow scripture. You become a slave to your own sinful desires. And your sinful desires, they pull you down. And they bring you into what? More bondage. So what Paul, as you look at the introduction here, this allegory that Paul is using, he is showing the Galatians that they are not being biblical by trying to obey the law. Because look how he begins the passage. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not know what the law says? That's what he's saying. Do you not, do you not know what the law says? You who desire to be under the law, do you, in other words, do you know what you're asking for? So he's giving them a warning. He's setting the stage. He says here, for it is written that Abraham has two sons. And when you read the scripture, I think uh, I had referenced, I think it was Gen uh, Genesis uh, 13 and Genesis, uh, I think it was Genesis 13, uh, the story of uh, Isaac and the story of Ishmael. Just to kind of recap, those who haven't read the passages, uh, you know, God had given his promise to uh, Sarah and Abraham. Abraham was about 100 years old and Sarah was nine. Old. Okay? And God told them, you know, God made this covenant with Abraham. He was going to make him a great nation. You know, called him out of 75 uh, to Ur of the Chaldeans and uh, told him that he was going to you know, make him a great nation. And all the nations of the world through him would be blessed. He told uh, Abraham and Sarah that they were going to conceive children. Uh, but at this time in the narrative, uh, Sarah could not have children. Her, her womb was barren. So she gave her handmaid or her servant, you know, you can tell Abraham and Sarah were very wealthy because they had servants. Everybody didn't have servants back then. Uh, so uh, Sarah took one of her maids, her servants, Hagar, and gave her to him to conceive a child. And so out of that uh, union that God, of course, did not approve of, and, and we'll see why, uh, Ishmael was born, but Ishmael was not the son of promise. And God told them such. And so uh, God reaffirmed his covenant to Sarah, and Sarah laughed. And guess what ended up happening? God ended up causing Sarah to conceive. And out of that came Isaac. So he had two children those first two, that the son of promise who was Isaac, 
and the one who was not the son of promise, who was Ishmael. So uh, I think uh, Genesis 16 is where Hagar had um, Ishmael. And so you had two, basically two nations under Abraham. Now Ishmael is the father of um, the Arabians, Middle Easterners. Um, Ishmael is, is and, and Isaac was the father of the Jewish nation, the Hebrews. But Ishmael uh, is the father of the basically Middle Easterners, uh, Persians, uh, Arabs. So you have these two different distinct nations, distinct religions. So the Muslim religion came through the line of Ishmael, not through the line of Isaac. That's where the Muslim religion came from. Islam uh, came through the line of Ishmael. So you had two different religions, monotheistic religions that came from Abraham's two children. So only one of them was the son of what? Promise. Paul is saying here, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other a free woman. Of course, again, Hagar was the bondwoman. She was a slave woman. And it had been written that Abraham had two sons. So Again, we know that Ishmael was born to Hagar and Isaac to, to Sarah. Now, verse 23 specifies that Hagar's son was born according to the flesh. Because it was, in essence, forced. It was outside of what God had purposed. God had purposed uh, Abraham to have children through Sarah, not through Hagar. So, it was outside of what God uh, had desired for Abraham. So that's why I meant that he was uh, born of the flesh. He was born according to man's work. According to man's doing. It wasn't of a divine initiative. There was a difference in the faith of folks of the past. Ishmael was born out of human folly. And you know what this points to with us? When we do things in our own power, we do things of our own will, we tell God, I want to do it anyway, right? You know how people do things and then they ask God to bless it? <laughs> all those out of God's will, all those against scripture, it's not something that God would, that would bring him glory. But, you know, it's the same that people say, it's better to uh, what, ask for forgiveness than to seek permission. That type of thing. That's kind of what happened here. So Ishmael was born of the flesh. It was man's doing. It wasn't divinely ordained. It was the, it wasn't of divine initiative. It was of human folly. It was born according to the flesh. Anything that we do in the flesh is not of faith at all. But we had the other son. He says the son by the free woman through the promise. Now Isaac was not born according to the flesh because his birth was the result of God's supernatural intervention in fulfillment of his promise. Again, people. Sarah was 90 years old. She was well beyond childbearing age. Physically, reproductively, Mentally, we have, to, we have to understand that Abraham was a hundred. He was—I mean, he wasn't well. You know, I don't know how you know how long that happened, but 
my, my point is, they were well beyond natural childbearing age. So this, we don't know how old Hagar was, but she wasn't as old as Sarah because she was her servant. She was her maid. But it had to be supernatural. For a 90-year-old woman, I mean, just think, think about your great your grandmama or your great-grandmama. Giving birth. Just, just not that, I mean, a 60-year-old is one thing. You, you have it happen sometimes. It's dangerous, but, but just think of someone 90 years old giving birth. Just let that marinate for a minute. So this had to be of supernatural origin. This was God's fulfillment of his own promise. And Abraham had learned a lesson from this. Like John Piper said, Abraham had learned his lesson. The only acceptable response to God's merciful promise is trust in that promise, not works of the flesh that try to bring down God's own blessing. I'm going to read that again. That's a good one. From <coughs> the only acceptable response to God's merciful promise is trust in that promise, not works of the flesh that try to bring down God's blessing without effort. In other words, wait on God. When we don't wait on God, we try to bring those things to us, the fulfillment of God's promises to us in our own timing instead of waiting on God's timing. What happens when we're impatient? Just be honest. I mean, we can take it just the practical. When I'm driving sometimes in traffic, sometimes I get impatient. I may try to take a shortcut to get around traffic and we end up still being behind. Because I get impatient, trying to speed past people up quick hard, zipping through traffic, and then end up behind the person that you pass. <laughs> you ever done that before? Or you look at people zipping, trying to get them going that fast, and then you end up like right behind them. <laughs> You're doing all that flying and zipping through traffic, and then they get caught at a light, and then you like right behind them. Like, oh, it's like you end up catching up with them. You know, that's just a little practical. Uh, illustration, but the point is being patient with God with his promises. In, in Israel's case and in the Jews' case, as Paul was saying, this is the, the promises of, of salvation, the promises of freedom through the law. In our sense, being patient with God. God is always faithful with we're not patient with God's faithfulness. We're impatient. We want to do it ourselves. Don't we? We want to do it ourselves. So Paul is telling these Galatians here. One was born forth through flesh, and one was born through the promise. He says in verse 24, which things are symbolic. He's saying this is being allegorized. So he, he goes on to explain that Hagar and Sarah represent two covenants. One is um, recognized with Mount Sinai here in verse 7, the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. 
And then for this Hagar is Mount Sinai. So this is again allegory. This is uh, one person representing something else or an event. So he's explaining his allegory here. He says, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds to Jerusalem. So Hagar represents Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So he's explaining what he means by Hagar being the one in bondage. He's going to get to his point here, but he's giving this allegory here. And then in verse 26, he says, but the Jerusalem above is free. So Jerusalem above is heaven. It's eternal life. And it is free from what? The Mosaic law. It is free from being in bondage to the law. That's what he's saying here. And then she is the mother of us all. And then in verse 27, he cites, um, I think it's Isaiah 54. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. So he's talking about the distinction of the two covenants. So the Jerusalem above is free. Remember, that's speaking of heaven. Heaven is where our true freedom is. Eternal life in Christ Jesus is where our true freedom is. It is not in bondage to the law. If you are a Christian this morning, you're free. You're not in bondage to sin. You're not in bondage to obeying the law. Now, do we struggle with sin? Yes, we do. We don't live in sin, but we what? Struggle against sin. We fight against sin. We confess our sin. We don't just give in and say, I might as well just do it. No, that's not what freedom is. Freedom is, 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 is something that you fight for. You, you continue to fight against sin. When the temptation comes, you say, Lord, give me the power to resist the temptation to sin. That's what true freedom looks like. And that is based on the eternal life that we have within us. But when you're in bondage to the law, you become a slave. Because remember, if you try to obey part of the law, you got to obey the whole thing. You got you to take it uh, whole hog. So we as believers, and Paul is telling these Galatians, we have true spiritual freedom. By grace, believers in Jesus Christ, we enter the new covenant relationship that God had promised his people that will one day happen. God is our God, not the law. He delivered us from the power of sin. Do we all struggle with sin again? Yes. But guess what? We still been delivered from that power. It doesn't negate that promise. We have been delivered from sin. Another thing, another promise that we have that we have in Christ Jesus is to not have the fear of death. We don't have to fear death. Say that again, believers. We don't have to fear death. Why? We know death is not the end. That's a promise. What do we have? Eternal life. The Jerusalem that is above, heaven. 
eternal life is laid up for us. If you're in bondage, guess what? You're not thinking about eternity. You're thinking about now. You're thinking about the next thing. You're not thinking eternal. You're not thinking biblically. You know what gives believers hope? The fact that we have eternal life. That we know when we lay out these, these earthly clothes, that we're going to take on the glorious body. Why do people despair of life? Because they have they don't have hope in eternal life. They think this is it. That's why people, in most cases, well, almost in all cases, but in most cases, that's why a lot of them commit suicide because guess what? They think there's no hope to this. Why? Because they're placing their hope in the things of this world. And it's not about, you know, you, you know, you tell people, hey, you got you do have something there for you do. So what is that something? You know, your children, your family, that's fine. And it's true. But there's something even greater. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. To live for his glory, to bring him glory. And you have eternal life. Your life has worth and value because you made an image of God. I say promise worth living for. That's a promise that we all have, saved or unsaved. You're an image bearer of God. So why be a slave to the law? Why be a slave to try to do things to make God happy with you? When Christ did it all. But many people are living their lives trying to do that. And they fail miserably. That's how spiritual freedom looks, people. He delivered us from sin. He delivered us from the demonic forces that keep our minds in spiritual darkness. He delivered us from the curse of the law. He delivered us from all of our futile, empty attempts at such obedience. We are free. Now, we're not free to sin. <laughs> we're free to live for God without the weight of that law hanging over us. That is true freedom. You want to know what true freedom is? Give your life to Christ, and you'll see true freedom. You'll see it. When I take an honest assessment of my life, and, and, and you take an honest assessment of yours, you can look and say, man, I was a, I was a slave to my sin. I was a slave to it. You can't shake it, right? You can't shake it. It's, it's, it's slavery. And you can, you can write this down and, and put it on a bumper sticker. Sin is a cruel slave master. Sin does not relent. It doesn't give up. Let me tell y'all something. Sin doesn't take a break. If you live in a life of sin and rebellion against God, 
it's no telling what kind of depth you will fall to. That's the homeless person. You know, sometimes I remember my boy was younger, you know, we see someone who's homeless, I would say, he was a teenager once. He was your age once. Or she was your age once. You think that she thought when she was a teenager that she was going to be a prostitute? That he was going to be homeless? That they were going to be strung out on drugs, sitting on a, a highway um, off-ramp with a, a, a poster up? You think they thought that when they were your age? No, but what happens? Sin, bondage. You become a slave to it. And what does it do? It destroys you. And it'll keep destroying you. It'll keep sucking your soul. Because that's what bondage does. Bondage to the law does the same thing. You could you, you, your, 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 your guilt, your conscience will be so convicted because you just say, man, I just can't please God. I can't please God. I can't do right. I just can't do right. No matter how hard I try. Why? Because you're trying to do right. You're getting more bondage. But what freedom there is in Christ. God saves you. You are set free. Christ obeyed God perfectly for you. He became the righteousness of God. We became the righteousness of God, rather, in Christ. We just read it this morning. Christ reconciled us to God. He broke that council. Guess what? We were enemies of God. But Christ bridged that gap, that huge chasm between us and God. We can't do it ourselves. We can't cross that chasm to get to God and be made right with him by trying to obey all these laws and, and just trying to just do right. Because even your most righteous efforts are tainted with sin. Isaiah said our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our self-righteousness will not get it done, people. And this is what Paul was telling these Galatians. Don't you know what the law does, as he says back in the beginning again? Have you not heard the law? Do you know what you're asking for? Are you a child of the bondwoman? By obeying the law, or are you a child of the free woman and living in the freedom that you have in Christ? That's the choice. Christian, that is the choice for us. So he says in verse 28, Now, brethren, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of what? Promise. Isaac had promises. Turn to Genesis right quick. 26. Let's look at that. Look at that scripture, that passage. All the way back to the beginning. Genesis 26, the first book of the Bible.
It says, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine there was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerah. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in the land, and I will be with you, and what? Bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. So this is God telling Isaac, you are the child of promise. He didn't say this to Ishmael. He said it to Isaac. I want to perform what I told your father, I will. So, Isaac was the child of promise, and we see that there. So, this is what Paul, as we go back to Galatians, this is what Paul was alluding to. That the redemptive promise of the covenant was to them. Okay? So, verse 29 says, but as he who was born according to the flesh... Then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. You may not understand this because this was a takedown. What he was saying was those Jew guys were persecuting their own Christian brethren. I'm going to read that again. But as he who was born according to the flesh, who was Ishmael, those who were under bondage, persecuted him according to the spirit even so it is now now Ishmael had mocked Isaac turn back to Genesis actually I shouldn't say that but let's look at verses 8 and 9 of uh, Genesis 21 Ishmael mocked his own Ishmael mocked his own brother And we'll read actually down through the 11th verse. So this is when, uh, okay, verse 8, Genesis 21. It says, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. So the son of Hagar was Ishmael. Scoffing. Okay. Therefore, <laughs> she said to Abraham, Cast not this bond woman and her son. For the son of this bond woman shall not be heir with my son. Maybe with Isaac. <laughs> so, you know, whatever the wife says, the husband does. <laughs> And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. So Ishmael was mocking his little brother. And Sarah got upset and said, get them out of here. I don't want them in my house anymore, basically. Of course, Abraham didn't like that, right? Because most husbands don't like their wives telling them they want to be his brother. <laughs> he didn't, obviously, he didn't know a happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> so verse 12 says, but God said to Abraham, 
Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice, or guys, be in trouble. For in Isaac your seed shall be called, yet I will also make a nation of your son as a bondwoman because he is your seed. So, that's what I told y'all that the uh, Arab and uh, Arabians came and told and came to uh, Israel. But the point of that is, is that he who was born according to the flesh was hostile toward his own brother. So Paul was telling the Galatians, the Judaizers, that they were being hostile to their own Christian brothers by telling them to obey the law. Let me use an allegory to get that message across. Christian brothers and sisters should not taunt other brothers and sisters in Christ because of matters like that. So Paul was telling these people that they're not to treat their own brothers like that. That's why he says, now we brethren, he's saying that as a, a point of intimacy with them. He says, nevertheless, verse 30, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman we just read there and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So what was Paul saying here? We, again, as believers, we are free. We're free. We're not to do anything to bring other brothers and sisters into bondage to obey the law. Try to have a works-based faith, works-based salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved to do good works, but we don't do good works in order to be saved. We must not even tell unbelievers that. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by doing things. And we can be a stumbling block to our own Christian brothers and sisters by adding to the law where there is no law, by adding to um, the Christian faith, hey, you must do this. Now you're saved. You got to do this, got to do that. You know, we talked about that before. Uh, don't go to the movies. Don't go to restaurants that have bars in them. You know, something like that. And all these legalistic things. You're, you're, you're actually bringing a believer back into bondage. You're being just like Paul was saying these Judaizers were. You're basically taunting your brothers and sisters in Christ by adding these things to salvation. You can't do that. You can't say, like I said, I came from a legalistic church where uh, women... As it was said, uh, can only wear dresses because they can't cut their hair. Can't wear makeup. Can't wear jewelry. You know that's bondage. Looking at, at, at those churches, I was in those women out in bondage. A lot of them don't even know it. They were so bondage because they've been brainwashed. Isn't that basically what we've been doing all these years? But we as believers, guess what? We are free 
because we have children of promise. We have freedom in Christ. You're free to worship God. You're free to serve him. You're free to obey him. There's no bondage involved. Your conscience doesn't convict you of sin. Why? Because there's no condemnation. I'm sorry, your conscience convicts you of sin, but your conscience doesn't condemn you because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8 and 1. No condemnation. But trying to obey the law brings condemnation because why? You can never do it. Because we just got finished studying the Ten Commandments and Bible study the last two Wednesday nights. Talk about covetousness. How easy it is to covet. Paul said in Romans 7, uh, he didn't he did not know what it meant to covet until he read what the law said, you shall not covet. He didn't know what trespassing was until he saw the sign and said, No trespassing, and he went anyway. <laughs> Isn't that what people do? No swimming beyond this point. No diving in this three-foot pool when you see kids diving in the pool. <laughs> Why? We're lawbreakers. We're, and then we, we, we become in bondage to those things. So, friends, I'm going to land this plane here. As believers, we have cause to celebrate the freedom that Christ has won for us. Christ has not called us to a life of bondage to sin. If you're unsaved, you're in bondage to sin. You're going to always be in bondage to sin. And as I said, sin does not relent. It does not let up. The devil seeks to do one thing. That is to destroy you. Destroy your life. Destroy your family. Destroy your soul. You can't destroy your soul. But he seeks to destroy you, annihilate you. First Peter 5 says, he's like a roaring lion. What does a lion do? He goes around searching for what? Prey. A predator. Satan is a predator. Him and all his imps. He's predatory. He goes around roaming the earth to and fro. Seeking whom he may devour. But Peter says, resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Sin brings bondage. Christ brings freedom. Come to Christ. Be saved. You'll experience freedom like you never had before. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that Christ won our freedom for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved and we will be free. From the bondage and the tyranny of sin. And Father, I pray for those who yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They are yet in their sins, they are yet in bondage. 
Lord, I, I pray that you call them to yourself, that you grant them repentance, that they may turn from their sins. Lord, grant them repentance to turn away from their sins and turn to you so that they may live. Father, thank you for your gracious word. Thank you for giving us strength to live each day. My prayer, Father, this week as we approach you know, Christmas Day, that we not lose sight on what this time is all about, that we really don't, that we don't just use it as a as a slogan and cliche that Jesus is the reason for the season. Lord, that we truly know that we truly worship the one true God, and we truly focus on him, because he is always worthy. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Before we do our doctor.